This is the Notorious Bakersfield Podcast. I'm Robert Peterson, the host and creator of the Notorious Bakersfield Podcast. Welcome to the 31st episode of this podcast, a podcast that takes a look back at some of Bakersfield's most notorious crimes, events, and characters. I hope everyone had a good week. I hope all of you are settling into the after-holidays groove nicely. Before beginning, I'd like to thank everybody who has already bought me a cup of coffee or two or three or four or five. I certainly appreciate it. If you would like to buy me a coffee, the link to buy me a coffee is in the show notes. And also a link to it is on NotoriousBakersfield.com. So thank you, everybody who has done so. Without further delay, let's jump into the subject of this episode. There's no denying that it's unusual for a newspaper to give a prison inmate a platform to share commentary and opinions. But that's what the Bakersfield Californian did in the early 1970s. Management at the Californian was so impressed with Gene Harrington, an inmate at the Tehachapi Correctional Institution, that they regularly featured his writings in their newspaper. When Harrington was paroled in 1973, he relocated to Bakersfield and then to Shafter and got a job with the County of Kern. Everything seemed like his life was on the right track. That all changed one night in 1976, only three years after the ex-con was paroled. This is the story of the killer columnist. I couldn't find much information about Eugene Charles Harrington's life prior to November 12, 1970. That's the first time that the Bakersfield Californian published one of his writings about life as an inmate at the California Correctional Institution at Tehachapi. It appears Harrington caught the attention of the Bakersfield Californian's management through his work as the editor of the prison's newsletter, The Hilltopper. In that first article, Harrington claimed he'd been convicted three times for armed robbery and had wasted 12 years of his life behind bars. At that time, he was 31 years old, so he'd spent over a third of his life in the prison system. In September of 1971, the newspaper announced that the inmates' columns would be a semi-regular occurrence. Quote, Harrington, with the permission of the California Correctional Institution authorities, will be writing articles for the Californian from time to time. His articles will describe life of confinement from the inmate's point of view, unquote. From September 1971 through November 1972, Harrington's columns were published almost weekly. The topics he wrote about ranged from the prison's vocational training programs to prison dress code. Through these articles, the convict attracted a large following. 
Readers wrote letters to the editor praising Harrington for his contributions to the publication. His appeal to the paper's readership was so popular, it helped him win a one-day furlough to attend the Kern County Fair so he could meet and greet his fans at the Bakersfield Californian's booth. After being paroled on Thanksgiving Day in 1972, the Californian continued running Gene Harrington's writings. They weren't as frequent as when he was incarcerated, but they gave him an outlet to share his experiences as an ex-con trying to navigate life on the outside. In those first six months of freedom, he fell in and out of love a couple of times, worked several different odd jobs to scrape by, was initiated into the Knights of Columbus, and began taking night classes at Bakersfield College. In June of 1973, he won a $250 scholarship from the Kern Press Club to help further his education in journalism. Oh, and he taught ballroom and tango dancing at various social organizations and clubs in Bakersfield. One thing that bothered the former inmate a great deal was the state of California's restrictions on parolees' right to vote. So Harrington acquired the title of voting rights advocate for parolees. He became one of the first males to join the League of Women Voters, even though he wasn't a woman or a voter. In November of 1974, California voters passed a proposition that changed state law and allowed parolees like Harrington the right to vote. I'll be back right after this. Hey folks, this is Robert Peterson, the creator and host of the Notorious Bakersfield podcast. This podcast is an independent venture, meaning I'm doing this all on my own without any financial backing. And believe it or not, there's costs involved in producing this show. If you enjoy the Notorious Bakersfield podcast and want to show your support, you can buy me a cup of coffee or two. You can find the link to buy me a coffee in the show notes or go to NotoriousBakersfield.com. There's a link there too. I wanted to also take this opportunity to remind you to follow the Notorious Bakersfield podcast on whichever app you use to listen to podcasts. And while you're there, be sure to take a few seconds to give it a five-star rating. Gene Harrington seemed to be adjusting to life out of prison well. In 1975, he even landed a job with the county of Kern to work at the welfare department as an eligibility worker. Then, towards the end of June of 1976, a female friend of Harrington's, her name is Mary, and she asked me not to use her last name. Mary asked him to stay at her apartment in Oildale while she took her kids on an overnight trip to Disneyland. Mary and Jean had at one time casually dated. It wasn't anything serious, but they maintained a friendship. I was able to find Mary and ask her about this case. I'll let her explain their relationship. I became familiar with who he was because of the articles he wrote in the Bakersfield Californian. And 
personally, I'm not sure, but I know some. I I I actually met him on a Christmas at a Christmas Eve service at Northminster Presbyterian Church at their Christmas Eve service, and some friends of mine that attended church there had apparently invited him. And 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 at the end of the service, uh, they introduced me to him. Uh, for a period of months, we became friends, and um, we we dated, but um, never exclusively or anything like that. Mary lived with her three young children at a duplex in the three hundred block of Washington Avenue in Oildale. She had been having an ongoing problem with a prowler, Peeping Tom. She'd already filed several reports with the sheriff's office regarding this prowler, and I'm not even sure prowler is the appropriate word to describe what was happening. Whoever this person was had crossed the line of prowler and Peeping Tom and progressed into more serious offenses. Well, it actually it actually had gone on for quite a while. First of all, some of my mother's lingerie was taken off the clothesline, and it was puzzling to us as to why her, she was an older woman. And um, we she noticed that some her of her somebody had been in our house because some of her undergarments were taken from her drawers. And we couldn't figure that one out. Then um, one summer evening, I had my nieces visiting from Texas, and they were spending, you know, a few weeks with us. And we just walked down to uh, get an ice cream late in the evening. And we had watered our flower beds um, going up to and. going up to the front door, and so um, we left, and when we came back, there were some large footprints underneath my my living room window and my bedroom window, and oh, it, that really did scare us, and my mother wasn't there that weekend. She was had gone to visit a friend, and um, but I was there with my own three children and my two young nieces about the age of my children. One time we had been at a Parents Without Partner dance, my mom and I and friends. And, um, and so my mom went home from the dance. And when she went in the front door, the guy ran out the back door. And she was scared to death. So Mary asked Jean to stay at her apartment to guard it while she takes her family on an overnight trip to Disneyland. So next door neighbor friend and I and my three children, we went to Disneyland and we spent the night down there and we came back the next day. When we came home, then I saw the blood. Realizing something awful happened in her apartment, Mary calls Jean to find out exactly what happened. And I knew immediately. I called and I said, what on earth happened? And he says, well, he broke in the back window, came into the, and, and Jean had heard him, and he came in, 
somehow injured him and he wouldn't bother me again. Not wanting any part of any crime that may have occurred in her apartment while she was gone, Mary calls a friend in law enforcement for advice. I called a friend who was a uh, worked for the state police, California, and he said, well, the first thing we're going to do, we're going to get you a lawyer and we're going to call the police. And so I can't remember who, which came first, the police or the lawyer. But um, anyway, I was, I was given immunity from any kind of prosecution if I would just tell what I knew. And I did. I told 100% of what I knew. In the meantime, the body of a 20-year-old man named Donald Massey was found floating in the Friant Kern Canal. The body had numerous wounds, initially the Bakersfield Californian reported Massey's body had 18 bullet wounds, but later they reported the pathologist testified that there were 18 wounds, but it was impossible to determine how many were bullet wounds and how many were stab wounds. It turns out Donald Massey was the son of Horace Massey, the chairman of the Kern County Democratic Central Committee. So it didn't take sheriff's detectives very long to put two and two together and figure out that Gene Harrington was their prime suspect in the death of Donald Massey. A couple of detectives um, talked to me extensively, and, and they didn't think they would ever have connected Gene Harrington with this Massey boy, you know if I hadn't gone to the police. Gene Harrington, the ex-con still on parole for armed robberies, was once again looking at a serious criminal charge. For days, Gene did not know that I had uh, told, turned him in. I knew he was going to be arrested. And I called his work at the welfare department to speak with him, and obviously they had his phone um, bugged, you know. While he was on the phone with me, they came in and arrested him, handcuffs handcuffs on him and walked him out. When detectives told Mary who the victim was, Donald Massey, his name wasn't familiar to her and didn't recall ever meeting anyone with that name until a friend of hers jogged her memory. He said, do you know Donald Massey? And I said, no. And he said, well, that's strange because he knows you. And I, I said, well, I, 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 I don't know a Donald Massey. And so he said, well, and he, you know, showed me this old notebook, and, and I, I'm sure it wasn't the, I'm sure it was the detective's notebook. And he said, "Yeah, your name, your address, and some other information is in was in a notebook." And I don't know what the information was. I never heard, never saw what it was, but there was other information about me and Donald Massey. My girlfriend came over after all of this was. Uh, being broadcast and all that. And she said, Mary, that is my boy's 
good friend. He was my, and remember, he came over and mowed your grass. And you gave him ten dollars, and I, I, I did remember, but I couldn't even told you what that boy looked like. He's kind of he stood down on the grass, and I was up on a step, and mm-hmm. I handed him ten bucks and said thank you, and I had no idea what his name was, or anything about him. Gene Harrington, the convict columnist with over ninety columns published in the Bakersfield Californian and a sizable fan base, eventually pleaded guilty to manslaughter charges. He was sentenced to 10 years in prison, but ended up only serving seven. Eugene Charles Harrington died in 2011. He was 72 years old. This is what I find intriguing. Harrington lived under the radar after being released from prison for Donald Massey's death, It appears he lived for some time in and around San Francisco and the San Francisco Bay Area. For someone who was such a gifted writer, I would have expected him to go on to write a book or something, but I couldn't find anything about his life after that last stint in prison. It appears Gene Harrington lived the rest of his life in obscurity. If anyone knows differently, contact me. Go to the Notorious Bakersfield page, NotoriousBakersfield.com, and uh, you can contact me. Resources used to research this episode was the Bakersfield Californian and Gene Harrington's friend, Mary. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Notorious Bakersfield podcast. I'll be back next week, next Tuesday, with a new Notorious Bakersfield story.